Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. How's everybody doing? Terrible. I get it. It's all right. Um, uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. All the dads. Um, traditionally, let me. I'm just going to say very controversial things as it pertains to our culture this morning and men. So just prepare yourself. Um, <laughs> Traditionally, um, shocker, yeah, you know, shocker, leave it up to me on a holiday to bring some controversy out. I'll just say this, traditionally, in, especially in modern culture, men just aren't honored the way that they should be. They just aren't honored. Like, they just aren't. Everything, every, everything is our fault and then we're and then the demand is is that we fix everything and then we try to fix everything the way that it needs to be fixed requires things that we possess to fix it and then you get mad at the way that we fix it and it's just always the man's fault and uh i just don't think it's true i just don't think it's true i think men should be honored i think our characteristics should be celebrated um i think i think that one of the things that our culture lacks the most is actual men who serve God in culture doing the things that they need to be doing, right? And so I'm going to talk about just a few things this morning, but the title of my sermon this morning is called Boys to Men. And uh, actually, Jam's going to sing us a song. Um, you're right there. Are you ready? I'm joking. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down sit down. But I, I am going to preach a sermon called From Boys to Men this morning. And, and uh, go to 1 Corinthians 13, very familiar passage. I like how ready you were though, Jam. I, I like that. If anybody ever says that you're not ready, I disagree with them. The man of God. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read just one verse. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. Listen to this part. When I grew up, I put away childish things. <laughs> when I was a child, I, uh, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. When I grew up, I put away childish things. I quit being childish once I grew up. And that's all I'm going to read to you this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would pierce our hearts this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak something to us today that would take us into a deeper level of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a person who is a man in culture who loves God and serves Him well. Father, we love you today. 
do this, we ask in your name. Amen. Jake, you're good, dog. Everybody give it up for Jake this morning. He has on Jordans. Note that he does not have on LeBrons. I'm so proud of him. We are making progress. We're going from boys to men. I told you. I told you, dog. God. What's that joke from the office? It's like if I was in a room with this person, this person, and this person, <laughs> this person, this person, this person. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I feel about LeBron. I would just shoot him in the knee twice, okay? That's, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. If he were only, he should be here for this message. Maybe he would grow up a little bit. LeBron. He should be here for this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Manhood is the defeat. Manhood is the defeat of childhood narcissism. David Gilmore. Manhood is the defeat of childhood narcissism. I truly believe that our primary task as fathers is to move our children from childhood into adulthood. And what I mean by that is they should not always need you, right? Your parents should not, or you should not always need your parents. Your parents should raise you in a way to not always need them. You should always want to be around them, but you should not always need them. The problem that I think that we face in culture, there's a lot of them, but specifically as it pertains to men, is that they are never moved from adolescence to adulthood. They actually stay in a... The culture that we have created actually facilitates them to stay in an adolescent way of thinking when they actually have a call and a mission inside of our culture. And I'm talking about men specifically. We have a call and a, an assignment and a mission given to us by God inside of our culture. And the problem is, though, and, and that assignment is, is mostly raising kids, if you're a father, and being a loving spouse, and doing all of that thing, but all of those things. But the problem is, though, is that we never move out of our narcissistic tendencies into actual manhood. We never move away from being narcissists. It's always about us. It always has to be about us. And I want to read this to you this morning. The movement into manhood or adulthood will not happen by accident. We live in a culture that's confused about it, what it looks like to grow into be a healthy and godly adult. A lot of masculine gifts are not viewed or, or not valued in our modern world because so many men have taken those gifts and used them to abuse, overpower, and belittle others instead of serving them. This means it can be hard for us to step into our godly gifts as men with confidence. We always hesitate because of what culture might say about us. The Apostle Paul wrote this. 
He reminds us of the importance of this formation in the verse that I read earlier, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away the things and the ways of childhood behind me. I put those things behind me. The context of this verse, I think, is very important, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is in the middle of two chapters in in the Bible. One of them is the gifts chapter, and the other one is talking about how you use these with power. And right in the middle, Paul says, there is this more excellent way that I need to tell you about. There's this, there is this way, there is this way of love that I need to talk to you about. But he says, when I was a child, I spoke, I thought, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I stopped thinking, reasoning, and speaking like a child. I put all those things away. Why? I think he was trying to tell us that we cannot love the way that we are called to love and do the things in the world unless we grow out of childhood narcissism. Unless we grow into everything that God has called me to be. The reason why I think the world is the way that it is today is because we have very few men. We just have boys that are... Uh, I read this the other day in a book. In a book, uh, one 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 kid, him and his dad, they like. He's very intentional about fathering his kid. Is when it, when his kid sees an adult acting like a a teenager, he calls them an adult ager. And I think the problem is is that most men love being sixteen. They love being sixteen. But there is a demand in our culture. I don't, I mean, like, if you, have you, like, been on Twitter or anything? I actually created a Twitter account in the last 12 hours. Yes. It serves as one, for one specific reason, to follow college football recruiting. Everything else is blocked. <laughs> in fact, my Twitter name is actually Auburn Radical, <laughs> if you were wondering. I love you, Jam. (sighs) Jam, take care of this. (laughs) Until we put away childhood narcissistic tendencies, we will never be able to love this world the way that it was meant to be loved as men. Men have a very particular way. You know that there is a distinguishment all throughout Scripture that men have assignments and women have assignments. I'm not talking about gender roles. This is not a poli- I'm not up here talking about politics. Like I have no desire to talk about gender roles or anything like that. If you don't want to go to work and work all day, if you want to stay home, be a stay-at-home dad, do that. If you want to, I do. Amen. Make all the money you want. Don't care. I'm not talking about gender roles. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about there is a biblical precedent for how men are supposed to live in culture. And there is a biblical precedent for how women are supposed to live in culture. 
And it's not, it's not, and, and what I just read in this quote a minute ago, the reason why this has been so distorted is because men have been elevated in positions of power where we have abused it. I admit that. I don't have any, I don't have any qualms with that. But to swing all the way to one side and say that, that there, there are no things that men specifically are called to do and there are no things that women are specifically called to do is just unfaithfulness to the Bible. It's just unfaithful. It's just not honestly reading the Scripture. And so the, the problem is is that we have made people feel specific ways about certain traits or certain characteristics that they have instead of moving them and filtering them inside of a life with God. And so I want to, this morning, I want to let you know that I do believe that men serve a very specific role and women also serve a specific role. And you get to decide what household chores you do. Nobody cares about that. Like, nobody cares. (laughs) Unless the people deciding the household chores, they care. If you want to cut the grass, have at it. Like, if you want to take out the trash, have at it. If you want to do all of the stuff that, that culture says that you shouldn't do inside of the chore list of your house, and then make this about being a man or being a woman, have at it. The rest of the world who has a brain just looks at you and says, you're not very intelligent. And you don't read the Bible. That's what we should say to that. Right? I'm not saying that Christians should never take the text or the scripture and use it to be abusive. But it is for correction. Like, if you read the Bible and it always agrees with you, go read it again. Like, if you read the scripture and it doesn't ever cut you in a way, you ain't reading it right, dog. Because sometimes I'm reading, I'm like, I got a long way to go. Other times I read, I'm like, I may need to step down. Like, somebody else may need to take this role. Because I got a long way to go in some areas. But I want to talk to you about seven shifts that I think that we can make that take us from boys to men. Seven shifts. David, what's so funny? Why are you looking at me and laughing this morning? Kelby, rebuke him. Yeah. Seven shifts that take us from boys to men. This is the first one. The first shift that you have to make in your mind to go from what I believe is childhood narcissism to manhood is you have to make this shift. You have to take it from blame to ownership. From blame to ownership right? Boys blame the world for the way it shaped their lives. Men shape the world with their lives, right? Boys blame the world. And listen, there are things that happen to people that are horrible, horrible, that happen to you in adolescence or that may have happened to you in adolescence. But I have seen people overcome those things and not let what happened to you define you. One of the things that I think men have to move past is that everything that happened to you in your life was not meant to define you. 
Like, it wasn't even, like, sometimes you don't even need to talk about it. Like, is it a part of your story? Absolutely. Did God take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good? Sure. But is it, is it who you are? No. We should stop taking how the enemy has sinned against us and calling it pieces of our identity. Like we have been sinned against in all sorts of ways by culture. And I could go on for days about that. Like you are always being actively sinned against by Satan and the devil. You always are. It doesn't mean that you live in a constant state of war, right? That's not what that means. But you are, the enemy is always sinning against you in ways that you don't even know about. But if you take that when it becomes real, right? When, you, when it goes from being in a spirit realm to the natural realm, and you think something happens to you naturally, and it marks you or shapes you in a way that it, that it, that it hurt, it was painful, and you then latch on to that as a piece of your identity, you will never make it from a boy in narcissism to a man. Because you will always blame what happened to you for you not being who God called you to be. And the scripture is full of people who went through hell and still became everything that God called them to be. We have to go from blame to ownership. So what are the, some of the things that men need to own? Number one, our tongue. Our tongue. This is what Paul used. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This is one of them things I talk about that just cuts. It just cuts. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you do or say be good and helpful. Sometimes I say things that are not helpful. I just criticized Jake for, for liking LeBron a minute ago. Not helpful. It is good, though, in my mind. <laughs> you see how we can use the Bible to abuse people? I just did it. <laughs> Let your words be an encouragement to those who hear them. Listen, men, we have to get our tongues under control. Over are the days when it's cool just to be a man who says everything that comes to your mind. Beckham does that. I'm not joking. He does that. Little boys do that. They say everything that comes to their mind. Now, sometimes I cannot interpret what Beckham says, but he's letting me know. Boys just have this thing where they just want to like say whatever they think. I just want to say whatever I would like to th whatever Whatever's coming to my mind, I, I have not moved past a place where I can, or to a place where I can control my tongue. I don't have any control over emotions, and it manifests through my mouth. And what happens is, is most of the time, when we don't have any control of our emotions, and it comes out of our mouth, it cuts people. And it hurts people. And it's not good or encouraging. It's not for those things. What is it for? It's for our 
egos. It's so that we will feel better. You know the, the scripture where it talks about if someone punches you, turn the other cheek, right? And I've had people say before, like, well, I just, I just think it would be easier if I just handled it. It's like, I would actually say you've probably never turned the other cheek before. You've probably never been really cut and then didn't cut back. It is much harder to be cut and to just end it than for you to get cut and then cut them or, or you, get, you take a shot and then you give one out. It is much harder just to turn away from the people who take shots at you. Men, it most of the time isn't that big of a deal. Your ego is just so big that it will not let you tell yourself that. This is good. <laughs> Our egos, man. You mean to tell you the solution to all of our egos? Jiu-jitsu. It will slay every part of you that thinks you are so bad. When a guy who is 135 pounds that you could bench press 50 times puts you in this like pretzel type thing where you cannot move your body, then it really like gets to that place where it's like, I am just not as bad as I think I am. <laughs> That's the only solution that you come to. I am not that bad. And after we learn how to control our tongues, after we learn how to own our tongues, we need to own our attitude. We need to own our attitudes. I see this in my own home. When I have a bad attitude, so does Beckham. It transfers. Most of the time, when I feel that the atmosphere is off in my home, it's my fault. But we live in a culture where nothing is ever your fault. It is your fault. You having a bad attitude is your fault. You get to choose your attitude. This is good for men and women. <laughs> you get to choose whether you are going to be joyful or not. It's a choice. Can you choose circumstances? No. You can never choose that. You can, though, choose your attitude through those circumstances. There have been things that have frustrated me so bad over the past year. And you get to some point, you get to one point where you're just like, I'm just going to trust God. Like if this, I'm just going to trust God. You just, you get a text or something, you just throw the phone down. It's like, I'm just going to trust God. Don't even know what to do. And it's like, I'm definitely not going to engage in conversation. I've tried to help people before that don't want help. Have you ever met people who are like, I need help? And then you tell them what will help them. And they're like, not that way. 
That becomes very problematic, especially for people like me. I'm just like, I want you to be better. And you should not need to talk to me for four hours a week about problems. We should be able to work through this. And then you get a text that says, our conversation that we had for four hours the other day meant nothing. I was like, oh my God. Christ, return, please. (laughs) Solve all of this. If you have pastors in heaven, I'll sign up to be one there because everybody's perfect. (laughs) You got to own your attitude. Listen, men, own the atmosphere of your home. Ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself these questions and be honest with yourself. Is your home peaceful? Is it a place of safety? Is your home hospitable? Is there an atmosphere inside of your house when people walk in? It's just a bit different. It's just a bit different. Like people like that. They like coming over to your house. They like being around you. I believe that if you can learn to control your tongue and your attitude, your atmosphere will take care of itself. Like, can I just say this? Like, watch the way that you talk to your wife and kids. It matters. Me and Beckham got into an argument this week. A good argument. Because it has now been pre-decided in his mind that when he does not go to daycare, that we start every day with a pack of gummies. So every morning, we wake up, we walk downstairs, I'm like, are you hungry? He's like, gummies. You're not eating gummies, it's 7.30. You're not eating gummies. And I told him, I was like, Beckham, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, we're not eating gummies right now. And he just like walks over to the door, the, and he can open the door, which is so annoying. It's made it even more annoying. He just walks over to the little door and he goes, <laughs> as if there was some guy in there going to hand him a pack of gummies. <laughs> and it's a real, like, when he knocks on most doors, he like beats the crap out of it. But it's like, it's real quiet in the mornings. Winston's already got on his nerves. And he just walks over his, I'm like, dude, we're going to have to eat some eggs. But he absolutely refuses. And so this week I was like, he was testing me. And I was like, Beckham, no. And all of a sudden, he just looks up at me and starts crying. And I was like, there's probably a better way to handle this. Because now I'm going to have to deal with his emotions for the next four hours. And if I could have just controlled my tongue, I would have kept my atmosphere peaceful. But it was 7 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So, you know. The next shift that we need to make. We need to go from living for ourselves to living to serve others. Living for ourselves to living to serve others. Listen, we live in a world that's selfish. Everything is about me. Everything is about, everything tells you that it's about you. What if I were to tell you 
that when you move from childhood narcissism to being an adult, you move from thinking that the world revolves around you to you play an important part in the world. Guys and men who live for themselves most of the time have a hard time serving others. They have a hard time serving others. Most of the time what happens is is that we have believed lies that culture hands us about what it means to be a man. That if I make all the money and if I do all of the stuff, then I don't have to serve the people around me well. That's false. That's false. It doesn't matter how much money you make. You're actually number one mission is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Right? What does that mean? Sacrificial love. That means it will not always be the way you want it to be. In fact, most of the time, what happens is it's never your way. <laughs> it's never your way. And what God calls us to do as men, I'm going to give you a good quote out of the Cole Burke's Bible translation. What men are supposed to do who follow Jesus is to suck it up and get over it when it's not all about us. Right? Just get over it. Like, either get over it, or your life is going to be terrible. It will be exponentially worse when you live a life for yourself versus one for others. Do you know why? Because you'll be alone. There will be nobody around you to serve. Because when it's all about you, let me just give you a little hint. When everything is about you, People don't want to be around you. Nobody likes selfish people. Nobody likes to be around selfish people. Why? Because they're selfish. And when we move, the shift that we make that goes from boys to men, like what are some things that you can do to practice being selfless? I would say you could do two things starting today. You can learn how to let go of your money, and you can learn how to let go of your time. Let me translate that to make it real churchy for you. You can give, and you can serve. Why? Because all of that is denying yourself. All of that is denying yourself. Listen, I texted Anna last week. Beckham don't even know what money is yet. And I'm thinking about sending him to kids' church with an offering. Why? Because I want him to know that we are first givers. We are givers. If you're going to live in my house, under my roof, mine and Anna's house, you're going to be a giver. You don't have a choice. Well, what if your kid wants to be selfish? I build a hut out back. I don't know what to tell you. I'm the parent. I get to decide how this thing goes until you're 18. And then when you turn 18, you can decide to be a giver or you can decide to be selfish, whichever one you want. 
But it won't be a choice in our house. Like it won't be, Beckham won't have the choice. I don't want to go to church today. Too bad. Get up. Get up. Like I've heard, I've heard this statement before coming up. People say, I feel like my kids run all over me. They do. It's not a feeling. It's true. It's reality. You don't feel like they do anything. Like Beckham doesn't get a vote on certain things. And neither should your kids until they turn 18. Should you consider their emotions? Sure. Sure you should consider their emotions. Should you also teach them that everything is not always about them? Yes! That is how you go from everything being about you, from being a selfish person to thinking about yourself to serving others. The greatest thing and one of the greatest lessons that my dad ever taught me was to never be late. Never be late. Do you know why? Because it's not just your time. It's not just your time. I remember I walked into a staff meeting one time, not here, and I had a really good friend who worked on staff with me, love him to death. And um, a particular staff member was like 15 minutes late that day. And they walk in there like, I'm only 15 minutes late. He's like, no, you're 60 minutes late. Because there's not just one person here. You have wasted 15 minutes of his time, his time, his time, and his time. You're not just 15 minutes late. You're 60 minutes late. He was never late again. (laughs) The greatest lesson my dad ever taught me was that the world does not revolve around you and all of the things that you prioritize. Sometimes the priority is other people. It's like staff meeting starts at 10 on Tuesdays here. You know what time I get here? Nine. Why? I don't want to waste people's time. When people, when when you learn how valuable time is, when you learn how valuable time is, that is when you will begin to understand that giving it away to other people is actually valuable. It's actually valuable. When you learn how valuable, that's why I thank people all the time who serve at church here. Because I know that your time is valuable. I know that it Actually, you could be doing something else, but you chose to give it away. And I believe as men, our kids need to catch us giving time away, but they need to know that it's valuable, right? They need to know that it's valuable. So if you want to do two, two things to show your kids how to move from selfishness to serving others, give and tell them that you're giving hey, this is the reason that we give in the offering. Because this money's not ours. This is God's. And then serve. Why? Because this time isn't ours either. Everyone exists inside of this. And we're called to serve people. The next 
shift that I think that we make moving from boys to men is from being critical to being compassionate. From being critical to being compassionate. When Jesus would move in the lives of people who were needing something, the scripture usually says something like this. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Listen, boys are critical of situations that they do not understand. And they will never take the time to understand those situations. Why? Because they're narcissistic. They're narcissistic. Everything's still all about them. But men are compassionate even in situations that they don't understand. That was one of the biggest shifts for me, personally. Because people would say things all the time that they were, like, things were bothering them, and I'm like, I just do not understand. Like, it literally, it does not register in here why this situation is painful for someone. And I remember the Lord was just like, it doesn't matter if you don't understand. I don't need you to understand. I need you to just love these people. Most of the time, you can't understand the pain of something that you've never been through. You can't. You've never been through it. You don't know what it's like. But you can know what it's like to hurt. And you can know what it's like to heal. And men move from being critical of everything they don't understand to being compassionate towards people that they may not understand, but they're going to get in there with them and serve them and suffer with them. Listen, criticism kills, compassion lifts. Criticism kills, compassion lifts. In fact, they have a role at this church. If you want to be critical about something here, then you can sign up to volunteer. Or don't be critical. <laughs> Unspoken rule one. <laughs> have you ever met those people before? They're just critical of everything. They always are critical of something. And then you criticize them just this much, and they fold. Can't stop crying. Emotionally unstable. Those are my least favorite people. And God loves them so much. And so do I. <laughs> Criticism doesn't just kill what you're criticizing. It kills you. It kills you. You are speaking death into everything when you just have a critical spirit instead of having a compassionate one that believes the best. Compassion will teach you to believe the best in situations that are not ideal, right? Especially if you've been something, been through something. Next shift that you need to make, you need to move from having a closed hand to an open one. Try to take Lightning McQueen away from Beckham. It is a war. It is an absolute war. Why? It's mine. It's mine. It's his. It's actually not his. <laughs> I actually own lightning. He doesn't. I let him borrow lightning to have fun with. It's mine. 
Beckham did not pay for that. One of my favorite things, my favorite basketball players is Shaq. And his kids all the time, they would talk about, he, they would say all the time, they're like, we're rich. And Shaq would be like, no, you're not rich, I'm rich. They're like, we have a bunch of money. It's like, no, you don't, I do. <laughs> One of his sons, they turned 16, and they had made like straight A's or something. And Shaq was like, go pick out a car. He comes back with the paperwork like a Range Rover. And he was like, bro, you need to go over there to the Honda dealership. We're not doing this. Shaq's like a billionaire. He can afford whatever car he wants. But there was something about teaching his children that like, hey, you don't just get handed everything. You have to learn to responsibly hold things. And the way that I have found that you responsibly hold things is with an open hand. You responsibly hold your marriage with an open hand. You responsibly hold your kids with an open hand, your money with an open hand. Everything in your life, if you hold it with an open hand to God, instead of trying to clinch on to it, I believe it becomes the most healthy that it can possibly be. When you put what's in your hand into the hand of God, and you let him touch it in the ways that he wants to touch it, I believe that is what takes all of those areas I just mentioned and brings healing and wholeness to those. But what boys will do is they will cling tight to everything in their life because they need to be in control. They need to be in control. They need to have the power. And sometimes, and sometimes the only solution is to let it go. You got to let it go. Because if not, you are going to do more damage when you clench down on it than when you just hold it with an open hand, right? Number five, you need to make the shift from the temporary to the eternal. What do I mean by this? Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inherit inheritance for his children. Let me ask you this. Have you thought since you've had children or had this thought that your purpose, dreams, desire, destiny, whatever you want to throw in there, is no longer that significant. Why? Because if yours doesn't live inside of them, then it was not from God. If you have a destiny, a dream, a desire, a plan, a mission, a goal, whatever, put it all in a package, put a bow on it, and put it there, and it does not include your descendants, it's not from God. Well, I want to do this. It's not about you anymore. This is why Paul's letters to Timothy were so instrumental. Why? They were passing down the faith. They were passing. Paul said, everything that I have, I'm giving to you. And can I just like set you up for something real quick? Anything that you have that's not of God in your life is going to be tried by fire. It's going to be burned. So anything that's not in the kingdom of God, if you're doing that, 
it, it's just a waste of time. Well, I'm not getting up here and saying that everything that you have to do in your life has to be urgent and right now. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that if you have plans, missions, visions, goals, whatever, dreams, a dream board, and it does not include handing something off to your children, then that is not from God. Let me just set you up for something really quick so that you know where I'm going. If Beckham wants to be the pastor here one day, this will be his. And it's not nepotism. It's called kingdom. But we don't read the Bible, so we don't know that. We've just seen that go wrong, and we think all of that is wrong now. But the kingdom is, is you take everything that you build and give it away. Why? Because it's going to be tried by fire anyway. And so if Beckham wants to be the pastor here, if we have another kid and they want to be the pastor here or they want to be on staff here, yeah, I'm going to make a way to hire them. Unapologetically. Of course they will have to be in a state of maturity for me to do that. I'm not just going to hire a kid because I can. You imagine Beckham up here. Just hire him as my associate. Just running around. People walk in. No, that's all he says. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> out. Stop it. That's what he says now. Stop it. That's what I'm going to send him to say to all. If there are people who cause issues, I'm just going to send him, stop it. But listen. You have to move. If, for, to go from a boy to a man, you have to take everything that you're dreaming with God about and insert your kids into there and then see them at the helm of that. And it may not be pastoring a church. If Beckham doesn't want to pastor the church, I'm definitely not going to make him. If he doesn't feel called to ministry at all, I really don't care. In fact, I kind of hope he's a left-handed MLB pitcher. We'll have a really big building then. <laughs> they make the most money. You have to move from the temporary to the eternal. Things right now, let me say this. Things right now that you, that you are doing with your kids are a really big deal. Because they are sowing seeds into their hearts for what is later. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. When I was over the kids' ministry, this is what I would tell everyone who volunteered in the kids' ministry. I would say this. You probably will never see the fruit of this. It's the beauty in it. You will never see the fruit of this. But your job is to sow seeds into their heart that will bloom one day. And let me ask you this, what seeds are you sowing into your kid's heart? What are you sowing into their kid's heart? One of the seeds that I think that I like to sow often is when Beckham gets a little sleepy, he likes to climb up in my lap and watch whatever. 
And when he does that, I am praying, Lord, may this always be a revelation for him that he can always go to the lap of the Father to receive love. But most of us don't think like that. Because we have not moved from thinking about right now to thinking about later. Do you know like with all the things that are going on in the world and everybody in the Christian world saying that the culture's after our kids and all of that, that does not scare me at all. It doesn't scare me in the least bit. The White House is after their kids. I don't care. They're in my care. All that all of that has done is, is expose fear in the heart of evangelicals who've made ministry a rat race and they don't have any time to spend with their kids. So then pastors have to get up and say, well, culture's after our kids. Why? Because you don't spend any time with them. You work 80 hours at the church. I don't even know what you do for 80 hours at the church. I've had people before say, I worked 90 hours this week at the church. Doing what? Like, what were you doing? Like, I come in here and sanded this whole floor by myself and barely got to 50. And then caused dust to go everywhere and then made everybody else come clean it up. <laughs> There's still dust in the ceiling <laughs> two years later. Move from the temporal to the eternal. This is the next, the next thing. Jake, you can come on up. You move from slave to son. When you go from boy to man, you move from slave to son. The greatest thing that we can pass down to our kids as fathers is a revelation of how much they are deeply loved by God. I'm going to say that again, and not just as fathers, as parents. The greatest thing that you can pass down to your kids is a revelation of how much they are deeply loved by God. The problem is, is that we do not believe that. We don't even believe that we are. So if you don't believe that you are, how are you going to pass that down to anybody else? The greatest revelation that you will ever run into is the love of God. It's the greatest revelation you'll ever have. Not faith, not hope. The greatest is love. It is that I am my father's and he cares for me. I want you to think about this. I was talking with a friend of mine who was going through a horrible financial situation. I was just talking with him through it, and I was like, dude, I honestly don't know. I don't even know where to start to help you. Like, I don't even know how to begin to help you. It's not that he didn't have money. It's that he spent money on dumb stuff. And he got himself in a mess and I said, how have you like, how, how have you been stable? And he was just like, I know that I got myself into this. But I have rooted myself so deeply in the love of God that I feel like that that's what will get me out. 
I said, okay, great. I was like, what, what do you mean by that? Because like, just you knowing that God loves you doesn't keep you from going buying new bass boats. And he was just like, I just know that he loves me so much that if I screw this up really bad, he's still going to be there. I was like, okay. And I kept asking him. I kept questioning him. I was like, okay, how are you going to get out of hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt? And he was like, I just think the love of God. I was like, explain that. I was like, please explain what you mean. He was like, because the love of God actually puts restriction on you. When you can't handle something, it actually puts restriction on you. I was like, so what what are you talking about? He's like, I have to go get a job where I don't have all of this money. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. He was like, no, this is what God told me to do. I was like, why? He's like, because I can't handle this yet. And I, I knew he had had an encounter with the love of God. I knew he had had an encounter with Jesus. Why? Because he was going to go get a job that still allowed him to make enough money to pay off all this debt. But also, it was a job that would not allow him a lot of wiggle room. Now, because he was in so much debt. But it would be the thing that set him free. It would be the way that he got completely out of debt. And a lot of times, we get it confused in the kingdom of God. We think when God puts restriction on us that we're still in bondage. And sometimes, God tells you no for the sake of freedom. God tells you no for the sake of freedom. God withholds things from you so that they don't have you. And a lot of times our mindset is, well, if I'm a son, then everything is mine. Not unless you are a mature one. Not unless you are a mature one. How irresponsible of, of me would it, would it be is if I just gave Beckham everything that I have in my home. Beckham, Honda's in the driveway. I know you've been liking cars. That ain't Lightning McQueen, but it'll have to do for now. Get out there and drive. What would happen? He'd probably kill himself. God will not let you kill yourself for the sake of you having something that you think that you need. I was talking with this dude and and the dude that was in debt and he said this, I believe that it's actually God's mercy that he gave me this job making all of this money and I screwed this up big time. I was like, why? He was like, I think the Lord was trying to show me that none of this will ever satisfy my soul. 
None of this will ever do it. And men, we have to move from the idea that things are going to satisfy us. Power is going to satisfy us. Position is going to satisfy us. Likes on Instagram is going to satisfy you. It won't. It'll never satisfy you. But here's what I do know about God. He'll let you experience it to show you that it'll keep you empty. Last shift that you need to make, and we're going to pray and leave. You need to shift from I can't to I can. I can't to I can. It's really that simple. I can't be who God has called me to be because of the culture that we live in. That's crap. It's just an excuse. I can't really be who God's called me to be because culture won't allow me to be that. You are called to be countercultural. You're Christian. Well, I have these certain values that culture doesn't value. Yes, you're Christian. That's been the thing. It's been the thing for 2,000 years. Jesus valued different things than culture valued, and it got him killed. We just happen to live in a nation where they can't kill you for believing certain things. But I want to say this. I want you to make the shift in your mind to you can be everything that God has called you to be. As a man, you can be everything that God has called you to be. You can, you can do everything that he's called you to do. And you don't have to be afraid of what people will say when you are that, right? When, you're, when you care for the poor, when you serve people, when you show up for people, when you're hospitable. Can I actually say something that could bother a few of you? There are some things that we have put, this is a male characteristic and this is a female characteristic. And if you do this, then you're a female. If you do this, you're a male. That is so dumb. So dumb. Like, there are things, like being compassionate and caring and loving and hospitable is not only a female trait. Let me tell you who the best person maybe that I know in the room is at this, Tom. And Tom's not a female. <laughs> Every time you go over to Tom's house, there's like a, a spread of like Snickers and drinks and all this. And I'm like, you get invited more, of, more often. <laughs> and then there's, he has this immaculate TV that if you watch it in the dark, it feels like that you were in an immersive experience that only happens once or twice in your life this side of heaven and it only happens in Tom's man room you can be everything that God's asked you to be and you don't have to apologize for it you do not have to apologize for being manly you don't stand to your feet with me I want to pray for us this morning and then we are going to head out. But this is what I want you to think about if you're a man in the room. I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about the people around you. 
And I want you to just to ask the Lord to turn you into a man like Jesus. I went through all of these texts this morning. I gave you those seven shifts that take you from a boy to a man. And I really found those all within the life of Jesus because I believe that Jesus is our definition for everything that we need. And so this morning, I just want to pray for all of the dads in the room, all of the men in the room. And so if you're standing next to your spouse or you're standing next to a man, just maybe lay your hand on their shoulder and just pray this with me this morning. Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the men in this room. God, I am thankful for what you are doing in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace that we need in a culture that tells us that we have to be a certain way as a man. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to be free from the things that we need to be free from, to put aside the behavior that we need to be putting aside. And Lord, I pray that you would grow us into mature sons in the Lord to help us raise children who know you intimately and who love you deeply. Lord, this morning I bless every dad in the room today. I pray that the rest of their afternoon is awesome, and I pray that they truly feel celebrated today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. Um, I love you guys, and we will be right back here next week at 10 o'clock, and I'm continuing our series, Gardening Groundworks, next week. If you need prayer for anything, we have some people down in the front that would be more than willing to pray for you. If not, see you next week.